this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading at verse 11. As we considered uh, last Lord's Day morning, that beautiful thought of here but a tent, there a home. And all that goes along with it. How we can live with such confidence in this world, for we know where eternity will indeed place us. So there is a consequence. Having that great truth leads to a therefore, leads to a consequence, leads to a response, leads to a reaction. Because we have that glorious hope, because we have that assurance, verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As far as the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep the passage open this morning. Let's bow in prayer once again. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word, and we pray that through Jesus we may be reconciled to you. And we pray that uh, you'd bless Pastor Bob as he brings this message to us, that we may be be edified through that, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two main points that we want to look at, and in particular this morning from that verse 
about that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This evening we'll go back and look at that section before. It's a little more fitting, perhaps for a profession of faith, as we have the opportunity to hear Ella's profession this evening of uh, how we are to live with Christ's love compelling us to live. But this morning, it's this section of a new person in Christ. And it's a good message as well as we reflect upon and think about the week that lies ahead. The week in which we spend time reflecting and thinking about coming to the Lord's table. We think about our unworthiness. We think about our sin. We think about the fact that that we don't deserve to be invited to the Lord's table. But because we are new creatures in Christ, because of what God has done, because of his work of reconciliation, we are not only invited to the table, we're invited to participate at the table. So we, we set this as a preparatory message in that regard as well. A new creation. Two major points. First of all, that a new creation in Christ, we have to begin there. That, that this whole thing about being a new creation is because and for those who are in Christ. Secondly, that in Christ we are a new creation and what that means and involves, and part of that is on the backside as well this morning. First of all, just an observation in regards to that first point where Paul tells us that we are a new creation or a new creature in Christ, depending on your version, and it's that phrase, in Christ. One of Paul's favorite expressions in his writings, he uses it over 25 times. 25 times. It's telling us that that Paul understands and in his understanding of the Christian life that being in Christ is an essential component of that. That all Paul talks about as far as how to live the Christian life, the blessings of the Christian life, are all because of being in Christ. So it's a repeated phrase by Paul over and over and over again. What does it mean? What does Paul mean when he tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation? What does that mean? If somebody said to you, okay, somebody at work or somebody at school who perhaps is not a Christian and doesn't isn't associated much with with the Christian faith, if they said to you, well, you know, I came and and I heard your pastor read that phrase, in Christ. Or perhaps they picked up a scripture and were reading it. How would you explain what it means to be in Christ? Well, if we examine the phrase in the light of the rest of Paul's writings and the rest of scripture, that which the Holy Spirit has given to us, Perhaps one way we would define it is this. It means to be in fellowship with Christ. To be in fellowship. It means not to be opposed to Christ, not to be an enemy of Christ, not to be neutral towards Christ, 
but to be involved in an intimate, close relationship with Christ. To be in fellowship with Him. We could say, well, okay, can you further define that? Yeah, we could say to be in fellowship with Christ would mean to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, Paul, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, he used that figure, that picture of the body of Christ. In verse 27, Paul writes this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to have fellowship with Christ defined as being part of the body of Christ. Individually. That you as an individual, that I as an individual, need to have our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by that personal relationship, we are part of that which we call the invisible church. We are part of that body of Christ that exists throughout all time and throughout history. But it also means that we are to be part of a body of Christ here upon earth, a visible body of Christ. Christ expects his people to be part of a church That's what Paul is is writing in 1 Corinthians. He's saying to these Corinthians who are in the midst of all of their divisions, hey, wait a minute, you can't all go your individual way, even though individually you are part of the body of Christ. You can't be an individual body of Christ. No individual is the body of Christ in and of themselves. We are all part of that body. And so what Paul is stressing there in 1 Corinthians 12 to that Corinthian church is get your act together. Get yourselves together. Be part of that body. Join that body. There are no, as is often said, Lone Ranger Christians for a variety of reasons. But the biggest reason is You're an individual member of the body of Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means to belong to a church. It means to belong to the church of Jesus Christ. It means to be in fellowship with Christ. In an intimate relationship where we are no longer serving self but Christ. See, to be in fellowship with Christ, to be in Christ, means that that I no longer live for myself. You no longer live for yourself. The goal of life is not self-satisfaction. The goal of life is Christ's glory, Christ's satisfaction. That we live for Him. That the life we have is found in Him. That we're not making decisions based upon what's good for Bob, 
We're based, making decisions based upon that which glorifies Christ. Finding ourselves in Him. It means finding Christ as the ultimate source of joy, of hope, of assurance, of peace. All the other spiritual blessings that we find in life. It's seeing Christ as that ultimate source. It's making that declaration. I love Jesus Christ. I am a sinner by nature. I entered this world as Christ's enemy. But I confess my sin. I acknowledge my sin. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And I seek a relationship with my Savior, with my Lord, Jesus Christ. Those, Paul is saying, who are in Christ are new creatures. A new creature. What does that mean? In what sense is the person who, who was before not part of Christ, who was not in Christ, who was part of the world, we would say, who was an enemy of Christ, but now by grace has been made in Christ, what changes? Okay, we're a new creature. In what sense? In what sense does does the person who comes to hear the gospel think of think of what we've been doing this morning? We've been singing about the message of the gospel. We've been praying for missionaries. We've given that the word might go out. So let's suppose, okay, here we are. We're supporting a a mission, a missionary. Let's say down there in Uruguay, somebody hears the word, somebody hears the preaching of the word. They're brought in to Christ. If we saw them on Monday, they came to faith in Christ Monday night. What's changed Tuesday morning? What's different? Did they suddenly, all of a sudden, receive wealth? Did they suddenly change appearance? What does it mean to be that new creature in Christ? Well, let's examine it under three ideas. First of all, That to be a new creature in Christ means that there has been a transformation, a change in our relationship with God. New creatures are those who are in a new relationship. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. All have died. The old, Paul says, has passed away. Verse 17. The old has died. New has come. What old died? Our old relationship of being enemies of God. 
That's what's died. That is what no longer exists. That has been dealt with. It's dead. Not going to come to life again. We never again will be put back into a situation where God's wrath is poured out against us. We will never again be put in that situation where we are only evil continually. We will never again be put into that situation in which we are the enemies of God, in which we are under His condemnation. Never again. The old, that old, is gone. It's passed away. It doesn't exist anymore. A new relationship has now come into its place. A new relationship of reconciliation through Christ. We have been reconciled. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. That's what's changed. That's how we're new creatures. Change in our relationship to God. Old gone. A reconciled relationship has come. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to be in a right relationship. It means to have things once again balanced. It means to have things back where they were. It's talking about our relationship with God as it existed before sin. God, through Christ, has put us in a circumstance and in a situation in which our relationship with Him is that which it was before Adam sinned. That's what's new. That individual wakes up Tuesday morning. He's in a new relationship with God. A reconciled relationship with God. A right relationship with God. A relationship in which God looks at that individual in the same way in which God looked upon Adam in his original creation. See, God is not the cause of the alienation. God is not the cause of the separation. It was man who sinned. Man is the one who alienated them. That's why the relationship needs to be restored. That's why the relationship needs to be reconciled. Because man ate of that tree. But it's God who is the restorer. One would think that the one who did the offending would be the one who would seek the restoration. But this is not God's way. Nor is it the sinner's way. The sinner never seeks its Savior. The sinner, if we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, doesn't seek God. They hide from God. The sinner runs from God. The sinner who caused the alienation, the sinner who caused the separation, does not get down on his knees and say, God, we ate of the tree. Please forgive us. 
Now, the sinner who ate of the tree runs from God, hides from God, alienates himself from God, separates himself from God. But it is God who comes and restores. It is God who came and covered their nakedness. It is God who shed the blood of an animal in order that their sinful, shameful selves might be covered. That, you see, is once again the picture of what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 5. That Christ is the one who has come to do what? To be the restorer of men. To be the reconciler of mankind. To give his blood, to shed his blood. To what? To cover us. It is God who comes. You read the the account in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are hiding. And the Lord God called. Oh, folks, never read that passage without hearing the voice of God calling to Adam in the garden. As he's cowering with fear, as he's cowering with shame, trying to hide from God, it is God who comes seeking Adam. Adam, where are you? It is God who comes in his grace. It is God who comes in his love. It is God who comes in the babe of Bethlehem. It is Emmanuel. He comes to to what? To reconcile the world himself. He comes to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He comes to be Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. See, that's why why that which we do at Bethlehem Alive is, is missions. This is what it is. We are telling the world God, through His Son, reconciles the world to Himself. God who came, not in the supernatural way in which so many people think about it or in the pagan way that people have, or in the fairy tale way that people invent. But God came in the reality of this world. Just as sure as God came and walked in the Garden of Eden, so God comes to the reality of this world to do exactly what He did there in the Garden, to restore, to be an act of grace, to show forth an act of love, that we proclaim, that we shout to the world. Christ, Jesus, has come to reconcile himself. Not us seeking him. Not us being moved. But him coming to us. We are new creatures in Christ. One, in terms of our transformation in our relationship to God, but also in our transformation of our relationship to the world. Something else changes now. There's another dynamic. It's not only this dynamic that changes, 
Okay? Being a new creature doesn't only change this relationship, it changes this relationship as well. Listen to Paul, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does he mean by that? Well, we, not, we don't look at the world. We don't look at people. We don't look at individuals any longer from a worldly point of view. See, before we were in Christ, that's the way we looked at people. What does that mean? Well, it means we looked at their status. We looked at their wealth. We looked at their poverty. We looked at their education. We looked at the power they had. We looked at their outside appearance. We looked at their physiques. We looked at their muscles. We looked at their curves. We looked at their minds, how smart they were. We looked at their skills and abilities to play a particular sport. See, we, we, we used to look at people and, and put them into categories based upon those worldly points of view. Paul says, we even thought about Christ that way. He's probably being personal there, thinking about, yeah, that's the way I thought of Christ. I thought of Christ as just another teacher, just another rabbi who went out of his mind, who was a lunatic. That's the way I thought of him. But once God in Christ makes us a new creature, we don't look at the world that way anymore. Now when we look at the world, we see those who need Christ. That's what we see. Wherever we go, we see people who are in need of Christ. You say, well, aren't some of those folks Christians? Yes, they are. But even Christians need Christ. We don't even evaluate ourselves by those old worldly standards anymore. At least we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be using that as the criteria. We should be looking at people through Christ and their need of Christ. The thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the millions, the billions of people upon this planet Oh, we could say they're Chinese, we could say they're Indian, we could say they're North Korean. We could say they're black, they're white, we could say they're, they're African, we could say, you know, they're rich, they're poor. No, when we see the world, we no longer evaluate the world from a worldly point of view. We see it in this new relationship. And in this new relationship, we see their need for Christ. When you turn on your TV set, when you watch the news of the last three or four days, and you see those people in the streets of our city, what do you see? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? For a Christian, the first thing that comes to your mind should be, those people need Christ. If your first thought was, they need to round them up, they need to put them in jail, they need to shoot them all, my friends, you're not a new person in Christ. I'm sorry, but you're not. You're evaluating them from a worldly point of view. 
They need Christ. That's what they need. That's what this new relationship, being a new creature in Christ, we don't see people. The way the world sees people anymore, we see people who need Christ. What's the best way for them to meet Christ? What's the best way for them to meet Christ? What's the best way for them to encounter Christ? What is the best way that you and I? Maybe it is in jail. Maybe that would be a good place for them to meet Christ. But that ought to be the goal. That ought to be what we're thinking. People need Christ. You see a hurricane go through a community. You see an earthquake devastate a country. You evaluate them from a worldly point of view. Oh, they need houses. Oh, they need water. Oh, they need food. That's the way the world thinks. That's the first thing the world thinks of. We no longer see people from a worldly point of view. First thing we see is those people need Christ. Now, how best can we get Christ to those people? How best can that be done? Bring them a cup of cold water in the name of Christ. That would be good. Bring them food in the name of Christ. That would be good. Help rebuild their house. That would be good. It's a means by which, in the name of Christ, they come to know Him. See, we no longer see people the old way. So that, what does Paul say? Verse 20. Therefore, here's another, therefore, what are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. That's what we see ourselves as now. See, I'm a new creature. I used to be this enemy of God. I used to not care about God. Now what am I? I'm a new creature in Christ. What does that mean? It means I see the world differently and I see the responsibility that I have to be the representative of Christ in this world. To be his ambassador. To speak of him. To represent him in this world. To be the hands, the feet. To be the body of Christ. In this world. And what is it? What is it that we as ambassadors are out there to be doing? Paul tells us. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our appeal. Be reconciled to God. God, who in the person of his Son, has provided reconciliation. In Christ, it transforms our relationship to God, it transforms our relationship to the world, and it also transforms our relationship to our own selves, the way we think about ourselves. Perhaps you came here this morning and 
things are pretty settled in your minds as far as your relationship with God. Maybe you came this morning and you're, you're pretty much settled in your relationship to the world, although I'll confess I've got a lot of work there myself to do. My guess is there are many of you here this morning who came, but you're still struggling with being a new creature in Christ in the way you think about yourself. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Dwell upon that. He made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. What does that mean? Three things. One, it means our sin is removed. We have to understand that. We have to believe that. We have to think about that. That our sin is removed. Our sin is gone. It exists no more. If we believe that as a Christian, as a believer, as one who is in Christ, that even though I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even though I repent of my sin, I acknowledge my sin, that somehow or another my old sins still exist. We smear Christ. We say... His death was not enough to pay for my sin. I'm such a great sinner, even Christ can't pay for my sin. I don't think that's what we're verbally saying, but that's what we're mentally doing. That's what we're spiritually doing. Our sin is gone. He accepts us as if we had never sinned. Talk about something that floors you. Think about this. It's not that, okay, I know all of your past, I know all of your history, but I accept you anyway, even though I look at you through the lens of what you've done. Now what God does is he goes all the way back and he says, now you and I stand in a relationship in which I see you as someone who has never sinned. At all. I am innocent. You are innocent before God in Christ. Take your blue Psalter hymnals. Turn to page 30. At least that's what it is in this version. Page 30. Others of you might have to search out Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 30 in the back section. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 23. And after we're done reading this, just leave your your hymnal out because the next song we sing is going to be right from here. So you don't have to put it away, take it out again. Lord's Day 23. 
They have just finished dealing with the Apostles' Creed. All the statements of the Creed. That's what's been in the Lord's days before that. The question then comes, what good does it do you, however, to believe all that you find in the Creed? Together, let's answer. In Christ, I am right with God and heir to life everlasting. In Christ, I am right with God. How are you right with God together? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them. And even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was obedient for me. I'm reconciled to God. As if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was obedient for me. That, my friends, is the good news worth telling. Amen? Father, thank you for your grace. Your grace to Adam and Eve and that you came to the garden. Thank you for your grace that you came to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit who opens our eyes to this glorious truth so that we are indeed saved by true faith through the work of Jesus Christ. And in Him, in Him, we are these new creatures in Christ. Standing in a new relationship with you, looking at the world with new eyes, with new views, new attitudes, even looking in the mirror and seeing the new creature in Christ that you have called us as. May we, Father, go forth as ambassadors of this good news. In Christ's name, God's